Well, hello and welcome to this edition of Stars, Cells, and God. This is the show where we discuss new discoveries taking place at the frontiers of science that have theological and philosophical implications, as well as looking at discoveries that point to the reality of God. My name's Jeff Zwerink, and I'll be your guide as we look into artificial intelligence today, and I'm glad to be joined by uh, Dr. Abdu Murray. Actually, we're not supposed to call you doctor, are You're we? Not. Even though you have a Juris Doctorate. So. Right. Well, we'll get into that in a few minutes, though. But before <laughs> we get into that, yeah. I want to encourage you to subscribe to our channel, Reasons to Believe. Click on the bell icon so you can be informed of our new videos. Learn more at reasons.org or by following us on social media at rtb underscore official. Abdu, I'm yep. really looking forward to our conversation today. Me I know too. you've had a growing interest in artificial intelligence. Yes. I've uh, been investigating it, looking into it for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And and there's part of me that is fascinated by what we might do and mm -hmm. startled by how we might do it at the yeah. same time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just kind of by way of introduction, we've had a, n a number of shows where we've talked about the different kinds of artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, you're in my class of age. Mm -hmm. You probably think when you hear artificial intelligence, you think R2-D2, C-3PO, sentient robotic type stuff. Right. Uh, that's the artificial general intelligence, but really the, the, the usage of it today is dominantly in this class of the narrow intelligence yeah. that can do a specific task or even a couple of specific tasks very well. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I want to get into today. Um, you know, there's just lots of places where this plays out, but I, you know, you've got a, a legal background, yeah. a lawyer, mm -hmm. and I know that in looking at this, there are pushes or at least impetus to want to say, hey, let's bring AI into legal, actually almost to the extent of replacing judges at some level mm -hmm. on, on the more ambitious side, because yeah. there's just so much case law out there being able to find and know that an AI could do that more judiciously and mm -hmm. impartially than humans. So I'm yeah. curious, just as you've interacted it from a, a legal perspective, how do you see that playing out or what are your interests there? Yeah, well, so a couple of things that, that, that come to mind is obviously there's a constitutional issue. So the Constitution says in several places uh, pretty prominently that every person is entitled to due process of law. So you can't be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Due process essentially means a fair uh, hearing where you are given a chance to defend yourself or seek redress from the government for anything that the government wants to do to you. Okay. So that's why we have fair trials. That's why we have um, uh, and when eminent domain happens, when someone takes your property to expand the uh, the freeway system, you have to get justly compensated. The government mm -hmm. can't just take stuff from you without due process. Um, and what does due process actually mean? Will people actually be okay with the idea that if a machine or an algorithm decides my fate, that that's considered actually due process. Because right now we're entitled to a jury of our peers. Right. So if a judge is making decisions and that judge, we're also, we're also allowed to forego a jury trial. For mm -hmm. example, you can say, I want a bench trial. Right. And the judge decides your fate. And sometimes that's a good idea because there's a little more sophistication in the issues and you don't want to necessarily trust yourself to a, a jury of 12 people who may, might not know the law as subtly as a judge Fair might. point, yeah. So then the question becomes, well, what if a machine or what if algorithms or what if a computer could actually know all the nuances of these things and come out without bias, without you know, prejudice to uh, the way you look or the mm -hmm. background you have? Wouldn't that be more as you fairer due mm -hmm. process, and in fact, more process and more due right. in that sense. So someone might say, that's the push. 
I think that there's an issue there, though, of course, because there are some studies that show that, like, for example, there was a study done where you fed uh, information into a machine, into a computer, uh, about whether or not someone should be out on bail. Mm -hmm. And um, that information, so they compared that to the way judges did it. So what you're trying to do in a a bail situation is determine whether or not this person is a flight risk. Okay. Uh, so they, they get arrested, they get arraigned, they plead guilty or not guilty or whatever it is. They plead not guilty. There's going to be a trial. There's going to be a hearing. And should the person be set free on bail, which bail basically just means if you leave or flee or fail to make your court hearing, you owe the court you know, $500,000 or right. 10000 whatever it is. And the, that amount is set based on how likely it is mm-hmm. we think you'll flee, uh, et cetera. So um, the judges will either – Grant bail or deny bail based mm-hmm. on flight risk. So the, 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 what they did was they fed the same data into a computer and said, would these people be flight risks? Mm-hmm. And what the finding was with this particular study was the computer was better at picking who would and wouldn't be a flight risk than a judge would. Right. And the idea was that, well, a judge can look in someone's eyes and find out whether mm-hmm. or not, like, is this the kind of person who would do that? And so they posited that the, 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 the judge had the same information, but more than the right. computer did, because it actually had, she, the, the judge could look at, she could look at a person directly mm-hmm. and make character assessments. And the computer had less information because it can't look at and yeah, get right. a feel for the person. <laughs> and so uh, was the computer, quote unquote, better at it? Well, um, it seemed to predict flights, flight risks better than the judges did. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but is that because the computer is better at it or is it because human beings are not great at determining if someone is <clears throat> a liar or not or is a flight risk based on do we over rely on our sense of intuition? No, uh, that's fair. When I, and I have a question there because mm-hmm. you know, to me, as I've looked at a lot of AIs, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we all played you know chess AIs. That was kind of the if we could make a computer that could play chess better than humans, that would be then we've got something genuinely intelligent. Now that's right. not the way it played out, but right. right. It seems like there's numerous examples where you know, it, for a while the programs, if you will, I'm just going to refer to them as programs because mm-hmm. I think they're very sophisticated programs. You're right. Um, they can't compete. They don't do things as well as mm-hmm. humans. But inevitably, the nice thing about the AIs or the programs is that you can always make them better. You can always make them better. And yeah. almost always they exceed mm-hmm. the human capabilities. We don't play – there is no person that goes out and play chess AIs because it's just impossible to beat them. The yeah. AIs are so good. Yeah. So – it seems like this, whether the this particular AI was better than the judges or not, mm-hmm. it seems inevitable that it is going to get better because we're going to continue to train and develop new data and stuff. Yeah, so and it, and it, it seems this, an inevitability, I guess. And it recognizes patterns, and right. what a judge is trying to do is predict a future behavior based on past pattern. Which right. is, I mean, it's kind of what AI is designed to do in right, some sense, exactly. at least today's AI. Now, if it's interesting, there's been other experiments with this same kind of thing where they fed it in uh, the data into computers. And that wasn't bail. It was something else. I can't remember what it, what it was exactly off the top of my head right now, but the AI did worse right. than a judge did. Now, that doesn't mean that, therefore, that, that debunks it. The AI shouldn't be involved <laughs> in this anything because it'll get better. Right. It, got, it did better this time, maybe, and it did worse this time. Maybe it'll get better because even when I, – I, I think it was Deep Blue. I can't remember which computer it was that beat um, the Grandmaster in chess and then – which apparently – 
drove the Grandmaster crazy. Oh yeah. Uh, and then he came back and he ended up beating it because he went he went unconventional. He did moves that should be should actually hurt his um, hurt his game. Okay. And the computer didn't know what to do with it and end up losing. Right. But then the computer realized the second the third match. Oh, that's what he's doing. Right. And then it beat him. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> your point is well taken. This stuff will get better at this kind of thing. I don't think, though, that at some point the AI, based on what it does, will be able to preside over a, a trial and decide whether something is relevant to a jury or relevant. Like if you handle objections, like the, you know, the, 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 the um, lawyer would say, objection, Your Honor, relevance or objection, Your Honor, speculation or more prejudicial than probative. Uh-huh. That's a big one for me okay. is that there's some evidence that, that, that could be relevant to a case. And it's probative of whether mm-hmm. or not the person did it, or this issue is mm-hmm. this this matter of is, is an issue is really happening, but it's more prejudicial than it is probative. Right. Think crime scene photos. So it, it would it it does give information, but right. it's likely to skew the outcome just right. by the nature of it. So. Exactly. You yeah. think of crime scene photos. Right. These are, mm-hmm. That's the quintessential uh, example. Um, would a jury? Would a, would a would a computer actually be able to tell whether or not people would be horrified by this kind of thing? or these particular jurors, does it require some kind of human intuition about what this panel of jurors might actually think, uh, given this kind of a case or whatever it is? And does but, it require but, human intuition to know that? But does it, doesn't that ultimately often boil down to just having enough data? I mean, given the way mo- all, almost all the AIs today work, yeah. it's a matter of data. And so if you've got data that's pertinent to that, there's mm-hmm. a way to train. I mean, that's why you've got ChatGPT mm-hmm. and others that can produce what looks like human human cognitive thought, if you will, in terms of writing is because there's just enough, there's, there's this vast wealth of training data, if you will, Mm -hmm. that allows, or, you know, so the, the AI can explore enough of the parameter space to get in there. I mean, isn't that at some level, that's just a, is there enough parameter space? Couldn't Mm -hmm. you envision, I could envision getting data, which says, yes, this kind of data is prejudicial. That's not. Well, you'd have to have, uh, you, you, you theoretically, yeah, you could, because you'd have a data, you have a, a set of data where when this kind of um, uh, information gets introduced to the jury, the jury gets it wrong usually. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and you'd have to have a lot of data at that point. So are we close to that? I don't know if we have enough uh, of the kind of data. You also have to know, like, ask the jury, why did you vote that way? Why yeah. did you vote guilty or not guilty? And you'd have to feed all that into the computers, and then they would say, this is the trend, and so this is the kind of thing that would um, prejudice a jury against mm-hmm. a guy. Um, the danger the danger I see it is not so much that the computer couldn't do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind of data you feed it, and the human beings are the ones who are doing that. So uh, at least at this point. Right, Maybe yeah. it'll start feed itself. I don't know. But it also feed itself based on the patterns of what it thinks it should be fed. Um, <clears throat> so let's say um, you have uh, um, a, a system where – certain kinds of defendants tend to get treated poorly mm-hmm. by the system. And you have certain outcomes for those kinds of defendants. Mm-hmm. And then you feed all of that into the machine and it said those outcomes, because it's making an assumption, those outcomes tend to be the better outcomes. Right. Um, and so the system is now biased against them, just like, this, just like the people who were, people were. So the system yeah. is, let's say, racially motivated or there's some right. kind of racial animus or prejudice based on immigration or who knows what it is. Right. Um, or it's like, uh, I don't like rich white men. Right. Um, and in these counties, 
those juries tend to go against those kind of people. Who knows what it is? That data gets fed into the machine, and the machine thinks those are the right outcomes. We're trying to get to those outcomes. This evidence comes in. It will get you there. Um, so no, it, could yeah, be, the, it could be prejudicial in that way. No, that, and that, that it, I think, is, you know, among the things that I see, it's like it's there's a part of looking at this. And, I mean, you know, people are thinking of, I could in, even envision doing AI to do science. I mean, yeah. it's there's a very algorithmic part of almost all scientific work. And I think anything that has an algorithm to it, an AI can do at some level. Mm -hmm. or, and I actually at least can do eventually. Well. Yeah, eventually, yeah. yeah. So there's part of me that's kind of excited because I think there is an aspect to where there's no human that can be familiar with all the case law or know what's relevant or what's not. Right. You know, so AIs don't get tired. They don't get weary. There's not, oh, I just haven't, you know, whatever. It's So there yeah. is this. Are you overruling objections because you're cantankerous <coughs> at the end of the day of a long trial? Exactly yeah. right. You know, so, so there are some parts of that where it's like, oh, this would be really good. Mm -hmm. But I do think, you know, what, you, what you've highlighted there is there's a – to the extent the system is biased, the AI is going to be trained on that data. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there was a fascinating study that just highlights, and I don't think the issue has changed. We're just more careful in how we train things. But yeah. there was a, a, a very well-known well study where they were training an AI to find the difference between wolves and uh, – Wolves and dogs, I'm and I'm, about, yep. I'm drawing a blank because it's not dogs, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> but uh, wolves and huskies, there mm -hmm. we go. And they fed all this data in and comes back, and now the AI can 80% of the time get it correct. Mm -hmm. And what was fascinating is they, the hard part is figuring out why is it doing what it's doing. Mm -hmm. and, and this is going to be, to your point of mm -hmm. bias there, is that when they went in and investigated, what they realized is that the AI was actually choosing what was a wolf based on anything with white background because the white background was snow and wolves uh, were in the snow and the huskies weren't in the snow. So it was doing it for the wrong reason. And the two that it missed was a wolf that didn't have snow mm. and the husky that did have snow. Oh, interesting. And so yeah. it seems like you, you, you might look at that and say, oh, we're 80% of the way there. Mm -hmm. In reality, we're not doing anything of what we actually – it's not doing at all what it wanted it yeah. to do. And if there's bias in the system, mm -hmm. especially if you can't query the AI to figure out what's going on, mm -hmm. you could, you're just going to be uh, probably amplifying the bias in the system because yeah. it's now going to propagate and do what we did. Right. That bias even better. Well, and the other the other aspect of the human element that you that you would miss if you over rely on AI. My issue is not you relying on AI. My mm -hmm. my issue has always been over reliance on AI. Yes. So, um, the, the the one side of the coin is well, judges can be biased, juries can be biased, lawyers can be biased, um, scientists can be biased. You name it, they're biased, right? And so if you remove the emotional element, you'll have this cold, dispassionate right. analysis <laughs> of the data. Well, you can. It's, the data is what it relies on. So its analysis might be dispassionate, but the data it's basing it on is flawed or biased itself. Here's or, the, or even the way we've told it to train itself, or what we what we've done for the training. I mean, it, yeah. it could be in t very well intentioned and mm -hmm. just wrong. Right. Well, and in fact, the, 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 and here's my point though: the AI has no intention. Yes. It's the intention of the programmers, right? So, <clears throat> if it were the case that um, uh, it has data that's going to bias the result, the AI doesn't care about the bias. So what, that's you good need, point, yeah. what you need is human beings to watchdog it because the human beings yes. do care about it. And I do find it hard to envision an AI that would say, hey, wait a minute, am I, am I, am I biased right now? Is, it, um, is this fair? 
um, or is this data wrong? Well, maybe the data is wrong. Maybe my masters mm -hmm. or my trainers or my or my whatever are just jerks. I, I can't see right now, at least, any time in the future where AI will suddenly realize, I don't know if I want to process this data this way. Uh, maybe no, it no, will. That's an interesting point. But you know, but on the flip side of that, mm -hmm. I could very easily, or I could envision a scenario where we develop a bias detection. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we all these AIs are trained in bias detection as well. So, right. But yeah, again, I mean, it's, it's, us, like, it's us who develops that. Exactly, The yes. AI won't think to do it on its <laughs> no, own. No, that is correct, yeah. So it, it needs to care about the bias. This sort of reminds me of one of the things that happened in, a, so there's this really good book I was reading uh, on AI called Possible Minds, and it's a collection of like something like 25 or 35 mm -hmm. essays across the spectrum, people who say AI will destroy us, to people who say AI is essentially the messiah, and people who are in between. Um, and um, one of the things that a lot of the writers had talked about, whether it was Steven Pinker mm -hmm. or Daniel Dennett or other, some of the things that they had talked about was, um, it's, it's, most of them are based on the, um, the, the book, uh, The Human Use of Human Beings by Norbert Wiener mm -hmm. um, uh, decades ago, uh, the father, father of cybernetics, where he was basically saying, I'm not sure I trust this whole thing, this whole affair that okay. we're, we're engaged in. And the, um, the thing that they were saying is, is that, if artificial general intelligence were ever to be a thing, uh, we have no reason to suspect that its values will be our values. Oh, that's a good um, point, yeah, right. Uh, and unless we make it to be so, which this is where the Christian element to me comes in. Mm -hmm. All the people who were saying this were people who were naturalists, people who were atheists, or at least agnostic, and they were, and, and as far as I could tell, mm -hmm. in the, and I, some of the names ring true, like Stephen right. Pinker, obviously an atheist, Daniel Dennett, an atheist as well, uh, and other thinkers as well. They were saying that its values might not be our values, and it suddenly occurred to me that this imperative, that you kept on using the word should, we should make sure right. that those values line up with ours. Now, are they using the word should in a survival instinct kind of a way? Like, it would be good of us to do this because it would be to our evolutionary advantage to not be overtaken by our own creation. Mm -hmm. Or are they saying it like it's, it would be immoral to let this machine right. or this thing have values that are antithetical to our values, whose interests aren't our interests, mm -hmm. and then take over? That right. would be wrong. Not just inconvenient, but actually wrong. And there's never a, a distinction on the is-ought fallacy there. Right, yeah. And that's where I think the human element has to come into this. And, and that's where I think yeah. the God element has to come in because we need an objective ought to govern this yeah. thing. And if we don't, we're going to run into problems. Well, no, I, I think that's fascinating because there's a there's an aspect to where this conversation makes perfect sense in a, in a Christian, mm -hmm. in a Judeo-Christian worldview because yeah. those... There is the sh the ought we ought to do these things because this is the right you know I mean it, mm -hmm. it just naturally is grounded there. It, I, I think you can make a pretty strong argument that you know if if Dennett and uh, mm -hmm. Pinker were arguing that we ought in that way that they're borrowing from Christian capital rather than deriving that from their naturalistic worldview. Exactly, that, that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it would be a fascinating discussion of what about sentient AI, and I think that's a whole different, uh, a whole fascinating discussion. I, I will say, I think, in my assessment of the field, that we're not remotely close to that, mm -hmm. and I think you're making a strong argument that we may never even get there. Yeah. I, I do have one other question kind of specifically related to the legal field, and mm -hmm. this is, you know, as we're developing self-driving cars, uh, you know, things of this nature where whether you're dealing with the AI that's the judge or whether you're dealing with the AI that's the perpetrator in mm -hmm. my in my instance here. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, I go out and driving a car, I get into an accident, somebody hits me, I hit somebody. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that part of what allows that to work is that there's, in, in, an, in an ideal world, mm -hmm. there's a just system of saying, okay, here's, you're wrong, you're right, you're wrong 70%, you're, you're, whatever it is, there's yeah. a way to adjudicate that. And then to say, all right, this, you know, this is the, this is the way we're going to move forward. Yeah. And especially in something where, you know, like somebody dies or you lose a limb. I mean, there is no restoring. Right. And in those particular instances, it seems like there would be, in my assessment, a, a difficulty for most humans because mm -hmm. at that point in time, I'm no longer dealing with a human yeah. in how that plays out. I'm mm -hmm. dealing with something else. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, I know how to forgive a human. How do you assign culpability to a machine? Well, or, you know. or even if you can assign culpability, say, okay, yeah, it was that car's fault. Yeah. That car killed my wife. What do I do with that? Yeah. How, yeah. Do I forgive that? Right. You know, what am I, there's, it seems like there's something off in our relational aspect. And I'm, that's as really, a lawyer, how would you, that's what really, do you respond? That's really interesting. Because, you know, it's funny because there was a, a, a journal, a, a journalist, a jurist, um, everyone who ever went to law school knows who I'm going to talk about. He has literally the coolest name in all of jurisprudence. His name is Learned Hand. <laughs> um, uh, learned. Your first name is Learned? My goodness. <laughs> you have high expectations. You almost had to be. A, jur yeah. a jurist. You have, to, you have to be brilliant at it, too. If you were an idiot, oh my goodness, how, how would that go? Anyway, <clears throat> he provides this calculation for negligence and liability on negligence, and it's actually an equation. Now, all the variables in the equation uh, essentially are as subjective as you can get. Okay. It's like, okay, if this level of negligence or this duty has this level of, you assign it a value and then there's this, could you have avoided the thing in the first place, you assign that level, well, okay, I mean, I see the calculation, but there's no way to actually make a calculation, it's just guess. Not right. guess, it's all subjective, I should say. Yeah. But it's an attempt to quantify the whole culpability issue or the mm -hmm. fault issue, um, and it comes off as cold and unfeeling, and there is a, there, there's a sort of a... a a reaction we have to that kind of a thing. There's another thing called strict liability, where no matter no matter if the company's at fault or not, if that thing hurt you, even if you're the one who hurt yourself with that thing, mm -hmm. the company who made it is strictly liable because they're in the best position to actually have avoided the situation. So, mm -hmm. so you, let's say right. you have a, a, a dead man switch on a, a lawnmower, and <clears throat> I go in and I disable it. And I, because it's easier for me to use it or something, then right. I hurt myself because the dead man switch didn't happen and the blade cut my fingers off. Um, it's still the company's fault because they should have figured out a way to keep me from being able to disable it. That also loses any kind of sense of fairness as right, well. Right. So fairness and morality and the consequences of bad actions, I think you're right. There's something about us as human beings where, why do we have victim impact statements, for example, mm -hmm. in the law? So uh, in some forms of civil litigation, but almost always in criminal prosecution, if the defendant rapes and murders someone, you have a victim impact statement. Or if the person defrauded somebody of their money, you have a victim impact statement where during the sentencing period, the victims get to say, this is what it did to me. Mm, okay. This is what your actions did to me. Part of the reason for that is to, is to one, it's to give the victims a voice, but and also to inform the judge about sentencing. But a big part of it is to see, does this have an impact on the perpetrator? Can the perpetrator actually 
get some kind of redemption out of it because they see the mm, scope and horror okay. of their actions. Well, self-driving cars can't do that. Yeah, right. Um, uh, an AI banking system that um, either makes a mistake in calculation and then completely drains a pension fund for 1,000 postal workers mm-hmm. isn't going to see the impact and, and feel right. the impact of it. So what do you You incarcerate it or you just eliminate it? Um, there's no redemptive aspect to the yeah. consequences. So I, and then of course the victims are like, yeah, but what do I do with this? Because a machine did it. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to, like there's, there's a healing process to the forgiving process as well. Right, exactly. Um, now that doesn't mean we shouldn't have AI. It just means mm-hmm. that if we have this AI, we're gonna have to come to terms with some things like you can't ever forgive the perpetrator if the perpetrator doesn't have a conscience or a soul. It just mm-hmm. did what it does. Um, it sort of reminds me of an inverse way. Uh, there's that movie, I, Robot, um, based on the okay. Isaac Asimov uh, t- uh, book of the same title. Um, and so the premise of the movie is that we're way in the future now, and we have AI. Right. We, have, we have AGI, artificial general intelligence, and right. generative intelligence, and all this. And there's all these robots that serve humanity. And there's these three laws um, that uh, the creator of AI implements and the three mm-hmm. laws exist and then eventually the AI figures out a way to manipulate them so it doesn't violate them but ends up enslaving humans. Right. Um, which is interesting all by itself. But there's this, there's this um, the protagonist is a guy who is a cop and he sort of has a retroactive sort of reactionary, like <laughs> right, he's, he, yeah. he, who, everything he wears is retro. He drives his own car instead of letting the machine do it for him. He doesn't <laughs> own a robot. It's Will Smith, by the way. I know, yeah, I, know. Yeah. I just saw the end of that not too yeah. long ago. <laughs> so there's the scene though. So the surprise ending of course is Will Smith has a robotic arm. Right. Um, and the reason he's got a robotic arm is because he was in an accident with a family and there's a young girl and, and they're both in Lake Michigan and they're both, the cars are submerging and a robot uh, a service robot is on the scene and it goes to help and it calculates that he has a 47% chance of survival if the robot helps and the kid has like an 11% chance of survival. And so he's dealing with the guilt of survivor's guilt because, oh, because the, robot the robot helped him, helped and, him not, and not the oh, kid. Right, okay. And he has nightmares constantly. Right. And there's this interesting conversation. I don't know where it shakes out in my own, in my own thinking, but there's this interesting conversation where he's talking to, I think, the robot, another robot. Mm-hmm. And why, why does he not, why does, he's like, why do you not like me? And he said, this is what happened. And in that moment, that robot calculated that I had a better chance of living, so it helped me. And any human being would have helped the girl first. A human would have known yeah, that 11% right. is worth it. Mm-hmm. And so that's an interesting statement. Yeah. Because, he, because you could have had both die or one live, and the robot picked the one to live, which is a very rational calculation. Mm-hmm. But Will Smith would rather have died, even if it meant that girl probably would have died, but at least she had a shot. Yeah. And he said, a robot, a, a human would have known that. And I thought, that's really fascinating, because that goes into the judicial na- mm-hmm. nature of things, it goes into the culpability thing, and how do you react when right. a daughter or a son dies at the hands of the machine? Um, like we have accidents, right? We have it now. I mean, industrial accidents, right? Mm-hmm. Someone's working at a factory and the machine malfunctions or someone's a little bit careless and they stick their hands in something and they lose limbs. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult to forgive the machine, but you also recognize, well, the machine's not really at fault. Yeah. Because it doesn't have sen- sentience. Right. It has no semblance <laughs> of sentience, so you're not really mad at the lawnmower. You're not right. really <laughs> mad at the car. You're not, if the brakes right, fail, yeah. but if it starts to act like a human being, 
well, you might want to anthropomorphize it. And no, then, that, that's interesting because now you're because we're relational. Mm-hmm. That relational component is incredibly important. By mm-hmm. and large, machines have been machines. Right now, you start making machines seem relational, mm-hmm. and that is very. Mm-hmm. Cloudy and muddy. I, I, it's inter- I, I don't know what the effects that's going to have on yeah, people. And, and I don't either. And this, that's why this <laughs> this is so fascinating. I, this this calls to mind a conversation I was having on a plane. I was flying uh, on a plane and uh, I was writing an article on AI uh, in response to a, a guy who won an art contest, but he used AI surreptitiously right. to win the contest. And um, there's this whole furor over whether or not. AI really creates art, or if that was cheating or whatever. Right. So I was writing an article on this, and uh, a woman sat next to me, and she's an executive at a prominent software company, and she was breathless in the virtues and and, and value of AI. Mm-hmm. A lot of which is like pretty quite quite cool. Yeah. Actually. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, in the way it's going to help people who like have ADD, for example, who can't seem to get past like the the minutia and the um, Monotony oh, yeah. of certain research, you know, gathering research. Da, da, da. They, they can't get to the creative part, mm-hmm. and it frees them up to do that. All kind of great things. Well, I was, uh, one of the articles I have here is mm-hmm. that the AI behind ChatGPT can help diagnose Alzheimer's before we can. I mean, uh, that's I can't think of the number of things where AI's. We, that's a technology that will allow us to do tremendous things to help benefit oh, yeah. humanity. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then free us up to more creativity, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. So that was what she was really breathless about. And then I asked her, well, do you see any downsides? And she, and she very somberly said, we have no idea what it will do to us. Mm-hmm. This is a, she said, this is a disruptor that is an order of magnitude greater than any disruptor heretofore. heretofore. Right, right. Um, and she's referring to social media. And mm-hmm. she, and she actually said, her words were, um, we thought social media would be this wonderful way that brings us together and families across great distances and you can share pictures of your loved ones and talk about uh, you know, grief and joy in your life with people you haven't seen or connect with old friends and all that. That's what it was intended for. And now what it's become is the polarization machine. Right, so it's yeah. done the exact opposite of what it was intended to do. And it's, it's driven by these, for lack of a better term, artificially intelligent algorithms. They're not really AI but they're machine learning, yeah. and they recognize patterns and all this stuff. And now it's made us more and more polarized. Um, and I thought that was fascinating because yeah. we're talking about we don't know what this will do to us yeah. in a legal context. We don't know what it will do to us in a social context either, which at least should give us reason to pause and think through. We already have a track record of thinking this will do this and then not anticipating that it will do the opposite of what it was intended to do, which means to me we had no hesitations with – rampant use of social media because mm-hmm. it's addictive and all this stuff. We were talking before yeah, right. about the social dilemma right. and how that actually works, that, 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 that um, documentary. Yeah, uh, well, it, it, it really is. There's something about that. And, and I think there's actually a physiological aspect of mm-hmm. that where being on social media does something in your body. It's not like, oh, I've just read it for a little while. and go, It's like it, it, there are physiological responses you mm-hmm. have in the way it's designed, yeah, and it's designed to do that. Yeah, the likes yeah. and the responses. It's, it's designed to keep you on the site or on the yeah. app. Well, um, and, and if I'm honest, part of why I got a little bit – or I, I had a very negative spell, and I'm still not quite through working through <laughs> whether I think social media is good or bad, is that I found – that I had worked pretty hard to curate, you know, it's like, you know, it's Facebook and Twitter and largely it was yeah. on Twitter. And it's like, I kind of chose who I would follow and who I wouldn't follow because mm-hmm. I want it. It's like, okay, I, I know how to have, I know how to relate to this, if you will. Yeah, of course. 
Well, in the process of doing that during the last election, it was like there was just this recognition that what I, what I was getting on my social media and what other people were getting on, they weren't the same thing. Right. I was being funneled off into this world. So instead of getting what I thought I was, which was this stream of people from this group, even within the people that I'd chosen, it was choosing what to show me and what to not. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I, I just saw the polarization happening in me and I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm pretty, I've actually thought about not wanting this to happen and yeah. it happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why it's such a, an important thing. But the Future of Life Institute, the FLI, um, asked for, and there's like thousands of signatories to this now, including Elon Musk and all these folks who are mm -hmm. developing AI. They've said we should put a pause on this. Not stop it, but put a pause so we can figure out what is it going to do, what are the ramifications of this. Now, that's an unrealistic thing yeah. to actually ask for because, one, there's dollars to be to be had with the – it's like an arms race, but economic version. Well, like, and, and I would say even if – quite honestly, you know, that was my thought. Hey, can we just pause this and slow it down? I mean, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, maybe we could here in the West, but – the West isn't the only player in the world, mm -hmm. and given the power of this tool, who has the who has the tool is going to be pretty important. Absolutely. So I think it's a, it's very vital that yeah. we're so it becomes kind of an arms race too. <laughs> exactly. We have to yeah. stay in the race. Right, right. So pausing has to be a uh, it's like a prisoner's dilemma. You know, <laughs> everyone's sitting. There's a hundred prisoners, and there's only one guard with one shotgun, and he's got one shell in there. And we could all overwhelm the guard if we just all surged, but someone's getting shot. Someone's getting shot, And right. so no one moves. <laughs> and so this is the inverse of that. Yeah. Someone's going to develop AI, and no one wants to be the last one. So no, there's no way to pause it. I guess what I would say then is for us, for me as a Christian, my concern isn't with the silicon mm -hmm. of the computers. It's with the soul of the ones feeding the computers. Yeah. And we have to, I think there's two aspects of this, is we have to recognize the transcendence of the morality that we're, that we're playing with. We can't cede what it means to be human to these machines. Uh, Tomas Chimuro Premusic, who is a psychologist, and he studies these things a lot in the work context, <clears throat> he has this uh, 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 a series of articles where he talks about how AI is basically just a prediction machine. Mm -hmm. All it does is predict, it, it, it looks at patterns based on the data it's fed, predicts what the next thing's going to be, and then suggests things to you. And so here's the interesting thing. You go to YouTube, you go to Netflix, you go to Hulu, whatever your mm -hmm. service actually is, and what, or even social media. Like, here's some suggested people that you should follow. Here's some videos you might like. Mm -hmm. What it's doing is it's predicting your pa from, from past behavior what you'll do in the future or what you'll like. And what uh, Pramusic actually points out is he's like, when you start clicking and going down the YouTube black hole, we always call it, mm -hmm. right, is you start looking at, you might like this video, or you might like this video, or you might right, like this yeah. video. What's happening is the machine is predicting what you'll like, and we are like robots clicking, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. So we're <laughs> becoming less volitional right. and far more robotic. And that's what I'm worried about. I'm yeah. worried about us seeding something to these machines, to, to the algorithm, not because the algorithm's out to get us, but because we are mm -hmm. easily given over to not being creative and letting things do things for us. And so, you know, John Piper once made the joke, and it wasn't such a funny joke. He says, Facebook is the primary evidence that we can never say we didn't have enough time to read our Bible. <laughs> Solid point. Yeah. Two thoughts related to that. Um, I, I've done enough computer programming, and I'm almost convinced this is true of AI as well, mm -hmm. especially when we're talking about self-driving cars and even, even other things that are going on there, is that um, 
when I do programming, very often it's like, okay, I need this to happen. And anytime there's input from somewhere else, I spend some amount of time making my program do what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And then I deal with all the different ways that people might do, or you know, all the different ways to get the input in there. Because yeah. somebody might enter a zero and I'm dividing and I can't divide by zero. So right. there's all this error correcting that I'm doing. Yeah. Almost inevitably, what makes my program work better is not expanding my program to deal with the diversity of what might be input. It's to narrow the input so that my program doesn't have to deal with all the outliers. Yeah. Seems to me that as we're doing AI interacting with the world, there's an inevitable parallel there that if we're not careful, going back to what you're saying mm -hmm. about being the people who decide as opposed to being robotic response to the, yeah. is that if we're not careful, the, the natural progression of the programming, the AI is to narrow humanity so that it fits within the AI's bounds yeah. instead of appreciating and amplifying the diversity of, of the, uh, not just of races, but of just the diversity uh, the way people do things. Yeah. Because what I've found, and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'm, this is my thought that I'm curious on, that, yeah. that narrowing is that it, my recollection was growing up, there was a fairly wide range of personalities and people that worked in society. Yeah. And as our society's gotten more efficient and productive, there seems to be an increasing number of people who their way of thinking just doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. And now they become problems, you know, mm -hmm. so... Uh, I, I'm just curious your thoughts on that because it seems to be kind of narrowing society as opposed to yeah. amplifying who we are. Well, and I, I boy, that's that spurs like three thoughts, but I, I'll probably be quick <laughs> on them. Is the first thing is so you're not, you're not the first person to think this. There's um, I want to say it's Yuval Harari, but I, I might be wrong about who it is. Is a, a prominent intellectual who said that what's going to come in the age of prominent AI as it gets better and better and better is not um. <clears throat> job loss and all this stuff, it's going to be, people are going to be categorized into relevant mm. and irrelevant mm -hmm. because this, and this, the relevant will become narrower and narrower and narrower because the AI will probably figure out at some point in order to avoid these error issues, I have to narrow the way in which you can interact with me, right. um, <clears throat> which will narrow us. I think that there's an invert, and I'm just playing with this idea literally mm -hmm. as, we, as we're speaking, but uh, the human tendency is to say, okay, this thing can do this for me. Let me have it do more things for me, and then more things for me, and then more things for me. Um, and yeah, we'd be up to more creativity. Like I do digital painting on my iPad. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's a bit of a cheat because I don't have to mix paints. I you know all that <laughs> stuff. I don't have to clean it up. Right. It's a bit of a cheat. I can do it on a plane, and it's doing some stuff for me. They can draw a straight line for me without me having to have the skill to draw a straight line. Um, but I still want to have the creative uh, spark to feel like mm -hmm. I did something. You know. Okay. But there is a tendency to want it to do more and more and more. That's why the guy, uh, Jason Allen, I believe is his name, won an art contest with uh, Midjourney, which is an AI that just generates images based on prompts. He didn't put uh, a brush to a canvas or even a digital pen to a screen once. <laughs> or even think about what color to use or anything, it right. sounds like. Yeah, so. I mean, he, he had tweaked it here, like, I okay. want this a little bit more here. Oh, okay. But he really didn't do a whole lot in that gotcha. sense. What was odd to me was in the Fuhrer after that, his words were, AI won, humans lost. Get over it, basically. Oh, wow. Um, I find it to be an odd boast. <laughs> Why are you boasting about the fact that the thing that makes us human, this artistic quality, 
is being mechanized now, and you're proud of it. Um, it's yeah. odd. I think there's actually a biblical explanation for that. Um, so as we broaden what we want AI to do for us, it will narrow the things that it will let us do to it. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, I think that's true. But I think this boast comes from a place that the Bible actually predicts well in advance. Now, it doesn't predict AI mm -hmm. specifically right. and all that stuff. But you look at the very first story of the Bible, you have Adam and Eve, and they, um, they are created in God's image. They're not God, clearly, because it's logically impossible for a perfect being to create a perfect being, because mm -hmm. a perfect being would require, would never require creation in the first place. It has to be uncreated. You can't create an uncreated thing. So, so God creates beings who are in his image, but are not his equivalent. Um, but what do those beings do? They rebel against God, saying, I want to be you. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be with you. I want to be you. In our digital garden, we don't have a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What we have is a digital fruit, and that fruit is saying, essentially, if you create me and I'm better than you, then you're better than God, because God can't create mm. someone as good as himself. You created something better than yourself. So the oh, weird okay. irony, the twist is, we create something that's better than us, and in doing so, we could become the gods of the universe. Oh, that's why yeah, we brag about it. <laughs> that's why we brag about it. No, that, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, there's just a, a number of things that that gets me thinking about just in terms of, you know, as we get chat GPT that, or, you know, other things, mm -hmm. uh, other language processors that can write and again, yeah, the, the, it's going to get um, better. Yeah. They're going to get better in their sophistication. Um, there's things that can do art. There's things that can generate music. Mm -hmm. So just a, a personal story is, you know, we, we watch these shows, and every now and again a commercial will come on, and they'll have these diamonds you can buy, and they're lab-grown diamonds. Yeah. Yep. So my wife and I are having this discussion. Are those real? Yeah. Are those real? And what you're getting at is that there's something of value here and at least for diamonds, part of their value is in their rarity. Mm -hmm. If you, and, and maybe that that, uh, that, uh, that draws the par or makes the parallel a little bit. If you now can, if everybody can have a two carat diamond, mm -hmm. well, then what does it mean? What does it mean? Yep. And so it's. I wonder if in art and in music and in and whatever, if we now make it to where it's just. I can do that without thinking about it. We've we've lost the artistry of mm -hmm. oh, I've created. I've. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost like the effort is part of the value in doing it, oh, and I it think, seems like we're just getting rid of that. See, I I couldn't agree more with you on that. I think one of the characteristics of what it means to be human, and there's a there's a, there's a million obviously, <laughs> and they all fall under certain categories. But one of them is the capacity to be odd. Oh, interesting. Um, Not O-D-D, A-W-E-D, right? A-W-E-D. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, are right. very odd. I will yeah, give you that one. Yeah, A-W-E-D. That's right. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> um, this capacity to be odd by, by things like, uh, look, a gorilla looks at the sun, the same yeah, sun I look right. at. He looks at the same moon I look at. And he's not thinking, oh, my goodness, that's gorgeous. Right. I do. I think about that. I, I'm fascinated, for example, by the, by the, by the fact, I think this is a fact, um, <clears throat> that every planet in our solar system can fit in the distance between us and the moon. Oh, um, yeah. But they're huge. Right. And I'm looking at it right now, and we've sent people there. Uh -huh. That whole thing awes me. And it's our nearest neighbor, and it's infinitesimally, uh, comparatively tiny in distance compared to everything else in the universe. Right. That awes me. 
your, your point is, to, I think that's so important, is that if we start seeding these things to machines too much, we over-rely, not, not rely, but over-rely yeah, on Yeah, that's them. a good point. I, I think that's an important point. It's not using it, it's overusing it. Right, we're gonna lose something. Like it, uh, look, I, I was in a foreign country and I was getting a, a piece of woodwork that was, um, that was uh, uh, a, a, a very beautiful piece of art that I wanted mm -hmm. to buy for my family and bring it home. And the guy said, this is not laser cut. As if it was, it, it was, it's handmade. That's a, it was a selling point. <laughs> right. Why was it a selling point? There's something intuitive about us that says, this thing is beautiful and I didn't need a machine to do it. Yeah, there's like, somebody that did that. Yeah, and so I take it home. When I look at that thing, I look at it and I'm like, that's amazing. Because yeah, a machine that can't, that doesn't have like pulse or doesn't have things that make its hands shake can easily create yeah. a, a perfect circle. But that guy did it. That's yeah, amazing that's, to it me. It is, yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's part of what's related to, I, I remember, you know, I, I've, for a while I kind of, I'd met a certain number or actually heard or talked to various number of Nobel Prize winners. Mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of like they've achieved something. I appreciate the difficulty of what they've achieved. Mm -hmm. And so just being able to have been in the presence is something, yeah. there's a little value in that, not because of worshiping them, but it's, yeah. it's like that's awesome, if yeah, you will. Absolutely. And I think... I do think if we're not careful, we might lose out. There, one, one last question yeah, for you, and absolutely. we, we kind of need to wrap up here. Sure. I was trying to think about this as, okay, so as Christians, how do we walk away? What's the, what's the way to think about this? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that does seem to me is that AI is going to be a very powerful tool. Yes. Uh, good, bad, or you know, what, what, whatever comes it out of it. It is coming. It's going to be powerful. Yeah. It does strike me that as a society and as a parent that I have lots of tools in my house. Mm -hmm. I have hammers, I have screwdrivers, I have TVs, I have cars. Um, I am very careful to not let my kids play with those mm -hmm. or use those until they're sufficiently mature to deal with them. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I don't let my kid carry around a hammer because they're going to do damage with it. It's, yeah. In fact, if they did damage with it, I would be the responsible right. party yeah, because exactly. I'm supposed to know better. Yeah. Uh, you know, similarly with my car. I mean, mm -hmm. my older kids drive cars, my younger kids don't because, mm -hmm. and, and we actually recognize that as a society. Yeah. I, whether we, whether there's an actual age, there's a whole bizarre yeah. discussion related to that, but we yeah. recognize <laughs> that tools require maturity. Mm -hmm. How do we as Christians develop, or, uh, apply that in the AI world that mm -hmm. we're going, that we do and are going to live in? Yeah. Given how powerful a tool it is. And it's ubiquity. It's yes. going to be everywhere. Right. I mean, the first thing you have to realize is you've been using AI for, in, in the terms we're talking about it, we've been using it for a decade at least, if not right, longer. Yeah. So, and our kids are using it more than we are. Right. The minute they open up Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is they use, AI is involved. So yes. they're already using it. Um, we've already seen what it can do mm -hmm. to them. Screen addiction, lack of creativity, lack of motivation. These things are real Just things. Narrowing relationships, even. Narrowing too. Yeah. Absolutely. The fact that you can sit in a room with 10 of your friends and never look at them once for a <laughs> half an hour is weird, right? Right. But that's what's happening. So, we as believers, I think, need to, I think just people in general need to realize this has got a deleterious effect and it can have that, even though it has tremendous, tremendous benefits. I think that, I think there is a part of the discipleship here with a parent to a child or believer to believer that it has this, um, I think, hounding on or harping on, we are made in God's image and there's something relational about us. There's something that 
gets odd. There's something that isn't just to be entertained. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to break ground and we're mm-hmm. supposed to do amazing things and not just have our time filled. Um, scrolling has just got this mindless character to it and mm-hmm. constantly being being reminded that we are not to become automata. Right. And what is automa- what, what is less uh, human or more automation-like than going like this for hours? Yeah. I mean, and reminding ourselves of that and telling it to our kids over and over again, monitoring, figuring out maybe even technologies, ironically, mm-hmm. that will help us intelligently monitor how much we use artificial intelligence. Right, yeah. um, because if the world does, I look at it this way, the world is telling you two competing things. You're a machine or you're God. Um, you know, you're a machine, you're nothing more than molecules in motion, or we're the creators of all these things and, it's ama- and you can decide what the world is and you can define yourself based on your preferences. In the schizophrenia that comes from bouncing between those two things, we have tremendous anxiety amongst kids. And then what does AI do? AI says, well, this is a machine that's human-like. So mm-hmm. maybe you are a machine, but we created it. So maybe we are God. And so there, who knows what we are? <laughs> yeah. We gotta remind ourselves that we're made in God's image um, <clears throat> and that there's something inherently valuable and special about that. And right. no, human, no, no machine can ever completely take that over. It's a simulacrum at best. Well, I appreciate it. It's been a fun discussion. Abby. It has we been. could go on for a long time, but we we're going to wrap up here. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you for joining us today on Star Cells and God and encourage you to join the discussion in the comments below. Remember to like this video and subscribe for more content. New episodes of Star Cells and God release each Wednesday. They're available here on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to share this video with a friend. Go out and talk with them about it. Maybe see what they have to think. And remember, the more we know about science, the more reasons we have to believe. Thank you.